This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by DreamWorks Pictures, presenting Bridge of Spies, starring Tom Hanks and directed by Steven Spielberg. Manila Dargis of the New York Times hails Bridge of Spies as a gravely moody, perfectly directed thriller, a consummate entertainment that sweeps you up with pure cinema. Anthony Lane of the New Yorker calls the film a dazzling composition. Tom Hanks stars as James Donovan, an insurance claims lawyer from Brooklyn who finds himself thrust into the center of the Cold War when the CIA enlists his support to negotiate the release of a captured American U-2 pilot. Named one of the ten best films of the year by the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times, Bridge of Spies has been nominated for five Critics' Choice Awards, including Best Picture, now in theaters. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Film Critic, joined for the very last time in 2015, Ann Thompson in Los Angeles. Right now, when, when people listen to this, we're, we're recuperating at the very end of the year, but uh, we have much to discuss because we're looking back on 2015, and I was just browsing through the different names of our episodes from, from just the last couple of months, and it's it's crazy to to see the the spectrum of topics that we've talked about from, you know, obviously Oscar season to Steven Spielberg and Telluride and uh, the Weinsteins and uh, the broader questions about film festivals and so forth. But, and what stories to you really stand out as we look back on the last 12 months? Well, I was, I was struck, um, you know, at the very, very beginning of the year, basically the big story was uh, the Sony hack, you know, which was still playing out. Still reverberating. Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, people had watched, um, uh, you know, the interview on Christmas Eve. I, I was just thinking about that. That was like a year ago when I was up uh, up in Maine watching, uh, you know, the Seth Rogen movie. <laughs> and that was like the big solution for for the problem. And that just struck me as, as sort of an in- indicator of all the changes that are coming that have been playing out this year in terms of the new distribution uh, options, the way that Netflix has really broken out, the way that Amazon has entered the fray, just in terms of competing overtly uh, with the studios and with the distributors in terms of just picking up movies like Beasts of No Nation, entering the Oscar race. Um, you know, uh, um, Amazon uh, put out Chirac. Yeah, um, so, I mean, we a lot of these things were in motion last year. It's not like these brands weren't being talked about as industry players, but it seems like maybe this year is when we saw the results of their first kind of push, big push, into a space that other distributors have often felt like they were more comfortable in, and maybe Netflix and Amazon are shaking it up more than they have in the past. Well, they're throwing their money around, and they're competing, and 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 they're figuring out where their place in the world is. I mean, the other, you know, the other stuff that's shaking out is just all the the movies that go to VOD, and and how many of them actually work there, and how movies are some movies going theatrically, others not. You know, it's still a very volatile. You know, the Paramount had its just distribution experiment that appears to have not worked very well, um, you know, with paranormal activity and, and then, you know, it's just, it's all, you know, still shaking out around us. Which and, two and the move to TV is continuing, and, uh, you know, with even the Weinstein Co. basically throwing their chips on, on television so for the future as they retrench. 
Yeah, before we get to Weinstein, I mean, you have two sides of the same coin with the with um, Netflix and Beast of No Nation versus Paramount and Paranormal Activity, right? On some level, that they're experimenting with with Windows. I mean, essentially, Beast of No Nation was a day and date release, but it was a bigger kind of movie to receive that treatment than what people had seen before. And it also generated this thing that IndieWire wrote about with uh, all these uh, distributors protesting and and saying that they they really want uh, day and date to not be the way to go. That it's a very interesting thing because Ted Sar- I talked to Ted Sarandos the other night. He is invested in one model. That's what matters to him. And in his eyes, Netflix being successful and having viewers and bringing eyeballs is his job. But the theater owners and the, and the distributors have another uh, argument, which is that you can build up the value of a movie much more effectively if you put it in theaters first and give it some time. But what's going to challenge that in the new year? I mean, it's it, Beast of No Nation could be the start of something greater if Netflix kept doing that. It's but, not a success. It, it, the right. only reason they did it was for an Oscar uh, campaign. He admitted to me that he spent money on it, but it, he knew that he knew that not platforming it and not doing a longer theatrical play w- w- was not, you know, that, that he knew he was doing that. He knew he was going to lose money on that. So the, the the Despicable Seven or whatever that stupid looking Adam Sandler movie that that dropped on Netflix, um, you know, just a few weeks ago, keeps cropping up as a recommendation for me. Which I don't know why Netflix thinks that that's what I want to see, but um, it's got like one star. I mean, they do have star ratings there, and um, I ju- I wonder if that movie the first of several supposedly will be getting straight to Netflix from Adam Sandler had come out first if it would have impacted the way people were seeing what Netflix was doing brand-wise with Beasts of No Nation. Well, Beasts of No Nation was a perfectly admirable and and uh, really worthy movie, which the theatrical distributors didn't consider to be worth as much money as Netflix was willing to pay for it and could afford to pay for it um, and got a lot of viewers for it. So you could argue that the way they handled it was actually perfectly appropriate. It's it's just that if they really wanted to make it, they didn't want to make it a theatrical success. That wasn't what they had in mind. Yeah. Meanwhile, Amazon comes along, and we've been hearing about Amazon Studios for a really long time. They produce the first of presumably many movies, Spike Lee's Chirac. Um, Roadside Attractions is a partner. They release it traditionally, and that's going to go on VOD in February. So in some ways not as dramatic they're playing ball. Right. They're playing ball, and I think I think that their their approach is more theatrical friendly. And hiring Bob Bernie obviously was an indicator of that. So these are the things, and then and then of course the 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 model that that Paramount was pursuing. You know, the producer of Paranormal Activity argues that they would have made more money if they had just gone theatrically and, and that this they left a lot of money on the table. But Paramount was willing to experiment with trying to to shorten the windows and in a sort of organic way. So you mentioned the Weinstein Company before, and obviously we're in the heat of Oscar season, uh, a, a time of the year that in, in some ways this this company or this brand of sorts can take credit for inventing or pushing along to, to where it's at today. And yet 
they seem to be struggling to figure out their role in this ecosystem. I mean, they had a VOD kind of presence through Radius, which is crumbling in certain ways as those guys migrate off to some new venture releasing this new Michael Moore movie. Um, well, it seems like what happened there is that the, uh, I guess what I'm picking up is that the um, the whole question of of having that kind of apparatus suggests that everybody's working in concert and and in effect what was happening was that is it was that the Weinsteins and the Radius team were almost competing for the same movies and it was almost more of a debate about which way they were going to go out and that the, there is a glut on VOD so when the um Radius team decided to leave and move on and, and do their own thing. Um, it, it became clear that they were going to use a theatrical model as well. You know, so so it's it's a it's not it, this whole world is shifting and changing. And what they might have thought their model was when 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 they were at Magnolia has has shifted and changed. That label will continue at the Weinstein Co. on a much smaller smaller. Uh, basis i mean we know liza fefferman is still basically running that shop and she's she's a very strong personality and and can probably keep it going for a while but tom quinn who who was running radius with jason janago is also a strong personality and so is harvey weinstein so this kind of community attracts people who need their space to play around and when they when they reach that threshold it seems like they just seek out other kinds of opportunities but they also need money they also need money so if harvey wasn't giving them the money they wanted to play with then um you know and and so harvey has 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 there's a whole new approach they've pulled back david glasser is there he's he left and he came back he was threatening to leave and he got what he wanted (laughs) um and they needed him they needed him but um you know it's going to be interesting they're going to the you know harvey and and bob are actually talking about spending more money on fewer films uh in order to compete in the marketplace and uh not you know throw so many uh uh pieces of film at the wall to see if they stick well, speaking of, of people who are releasing fewer films, I think one of the the more intriguing developments was this newcomer that uh, didn't have the, the the most dramatic expectations. Not Broad Green coming in with a, a whole lot of money and all kinds of question marks, but Bleecker Street, uh, which you know had some successes and some things that didn't go quite as well, but certainly a, a, a new a new player that um, seems to have delivered. On expectations of, of of being a company worth offering something, I mean, they've had they had. Some but they were veterans. Stuff. They were the people who were left over from Focus, Focus Features. Right. So it isn't like they were brand new uh, players, and you know, and and Film District went down, but uh, Peter Schlesel went over and took over. Uh, you know, merged his company with with Focus Features, and and proceeds. Uh, you know, forward um, into the future. Uh, yeah, so it's 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 a open road. Had a very good year. Uh, obviously, uh, they've got Spotlight as the Oscar front runner, and uh, they figured out a way with their um, theater partners who own them, uh, AMC and Regal, to uh, you know function out there and and keep keep uh, keep 
keep movies in theaters. They're, that's a theatrical model that works. Sony Pictures Classics, still working on the theatrical side uh, of the equation. Fox Searchlight, still doing the same. So uh, the big the studios have more options with output deals and, and money from overseas to be able to, to function when everything doesn't go perfectly on all cylinders. I think that... I, I, you know, the the way that the theater is talked about in all of these things is almost this elusive concept because so many of these movies, at least for a larger public, even even some aspect of that larger pop public that really likes movies, is going to to wait until they can watch it at home. The stories that are associated with going to the theater this year seem to either involve Star Wars or you know something eccentric like Shia LaBeouf sitting in Angelica watching his filmography in reverse. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it has to be a big event, you know, otherwise we're, we're, I mean, even, even these, somebody like Weinstein doesn't know how to get the general public to go to the movie theater as a, as a model anymore. Right. I mean, well, they like, sometimes do. It's just a question. I mean, they're going, they're going to see Carol. Carol's doing very well. The award season, you know, chugs along with, with the movies that people actually like, you know, the best movies of, of the year. The question is how to keep that going. Well, yeah. I mean, isn't, year it, round. isn't it always a tightrope though? I mean, it's, it's sort of with Carol, it could have not gone well. I mean, certain things had to happen to to make sure that that movie. I mean, it had to be good. That's an example, though, Eric, of a you know of a model that's still working. I mean, it doesn't work. I mean, I think I think this is why they're changing their tack. You know, instead of having thirty movies a year, Weinstein used to have so many. If they pull back to to six or seven. You know, and some partnership, you know, opportunities. They, they, they can, they can really try to to find the carols and make those work, as opposed to, uh, you know, finding out that tracks didn't play in Australia and they can't make it work in, in theaters in 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 America, and then they dump it. You know. I think the last intriguing film story of the year is going to be whether or not people go see Anomalisa, since that technically opens at the very end of of December. Although it's going to take probably some of January to figure out whether or not it does anything like what must be expected of it. I mean, Paramount's... That's such a huge question mark because it's such an anomaly. (laughs) It is. is. I mean, I love it. You know, a family animated film. It's an independent film. It was independent. You know, you've been covering it since Telluride. I love it as much as you do. And And it was a nice surprise at Telluride. I mean, we, we weren't talking about it back in, say, May or February when we were sort of anticipating different kinds of things that may come along and become parts of, you know, whether it's the awards season conversation or just a larger movie conversation i mean it, that's one that, that was a latecomer and you know it's i think it's a movie that in new york you know the arty scene is is gonna turn up because it's 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 a charlie kaufman movie it's it's different um it takes its audience intelligence seriously and uh it gets people talking but i'd like to think it's an it's when i say it's an anomaly i'd like to think it's so unusual and so unique and changes the the form you know of what we think animation can be nobody's ever done this before nobody's ever taken uh animated figures and made them this lifelike or to the extent that they would actually have sex you know naked (laughs) (laughs) with swinging apparatus you know it's it's pretty remarkable what they did and they 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 challenged the rules of 
of what people think uh, can be done and, and, and really surprised everybody. So uh, right. it's wonderful because I think it opens up all sorts of possibilities for what other people could do. Yeah, we've been hearing all year about how the Revenant was this next level thing and, and this filmmaker is pushing himself to certain extremes and then here comes this other thing that's doing something different that we weren't even talking about at all. I mean... Or tangerine on the iPhone, another or, good one, or whatever. But um, the other, the other story that I'd love to bring up um, is, you know, on the one hand, Star Wars, uh, you know, is is a great event movie, but it, it's success, it's unbelievable, <laughs> record breaking, anticipated. You know, blockbuster. Oh, I believe success, it. <laughs> um, is is the is is the confirmation of the big label event brands pre-sold you know model that the studios already believe in, and Disney is the great example of with Pixar and Marvel and, and Lucasfilm. Yeah. Um, and oddly, Spielberg is leaving and going back to Universal, and then Universal's the other big story of the year where uh, this is diversity paying off with. Pitch Perfect 2, directed by a woman, Fifty Shades of Grey, directed by a woman straight out of Compton, uh, very big surprise hip-hop biopic, um, you know, fat, you know, diversity in, in the franchise that they inherited, Fast and the Furious. So these are really, you know, this is what the studios should be paying attention to because it worked on a, on a ma- major scale. Well, they better be paying attention because it sounds like they're being investigated uh, on the basis oh, right. of whether or not <laughs> somebody's <laughs> yeah. watching. Well, you know, the numbers for 2015 did not improve, unfortunately. They improved a little bit in terms of content, in terms of the numbers of movies that were aimed at women or starred women or had featured women players, but not in terms of the directors behind the scenes. I'd like to think that for 2016 going forward, we will see more uh, more filmmakers because I do think that consciousness has been raised. Well, this speaks to a larger issue that I that I was kind of sorting through the other day. I was watching one of the more recent uh, debates as as the political season kicks into gear, and just thinking about the the weird disconnect between that arena and the film industry, because they 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 engage in this strange dance where, on the one hand, you know. Democrats are, have to court Hollywood in, in certain ways, but in, a, in, a, in another sense, I think Hollywood tends to be more conservative in terms of how it gets involved in those proceedings, and it's, it's frustrating because we talk about you know, certain progressive ideals like diversity. We want to see more women and people of color involved in, in telling these stories on a mainstream level, and then on the other hand, I mean, I just don't, I don't see... Uh, film studios kind of getting ahead of uh, the kind of political climate that we're heading into and, you know, Trumpville, you know, these these scary possibilities of what the next year will bring. I, I just feel like the, the entertainment world is going to be just kind of keeping that at arm's length instead of engaging it head on, which might be more constructive on some level. I don't know. I don't think it's their job necessarily to reflect uh, what's going on. I mean, in the year that Fahrenheit 9-11 came out, that movie, they thought they were going to change the election, but it didn't it didn't happen. So, you know, sometimes, you know, did did uh, did Al Gore's inconvenient truth have an impact on the world? Well, we finally have some kind of climate accord all these many years later. I think maybe you could argue that the it's, tipping it's, point is. Yeah. Already occurred. Maybe it started a conversation on some level, but I, I just, I mean, these are these are 
big narrative experiences and and people who who command some kind of weight over the way that we see the world i mean I, and it's just been such a bizarre tumultuous year i mean we talk about conversations surrounding terrorism or foreign policy and so forth and yeah which is why we're talking preston sturges you know sullivan's travels here you know if, if i so if think I'm it's gonna, a catharsis i think from the people terrible. like to escape you know somebody was asking me you know does star wars have you know any impact you know any any does it have any kind of re- connection to what's really going on in in the world and 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 i sort of you know beyond the fact that i love a woman and a black man being the two leads uh you know the action leads and, yes of of the of the of this new uh, franchise going forward, I I I don't think it does have any relationship to the real world, except that they've changed uh, uh, the composition of it. So that's the kind of like the status quo of sorts of you know like what what these kinds of movies can can offer us you know, but then there's this like trickle down effect of you know how how these stories are talked about and what do people do with the platforms that they have you know. I do like the idea that there are more women uh, in active roles and who are in hit movies. I mean, someone like Jennifer Lawrence or Rebecca Ferguson or or Charlize Theron. You know, there's more of that than there used to be. But I also see some potential in things like what Ava DuVernay is doing with her new company, Array, you know, sort of trying to support, you know, marginalized filmmakers and, and at least look look for those examples that are out there of stories that, that go outside of uh, kind of the, the traditional, more conservative possibilities, but also, you know, finding them, finding quality there. You know, that there, it's not just about diversity for diversity's sake, it's about finding ways of, of empowering the right kinds of voices. And, uh, you know, I, I wonder how that kind of conversation will evolve over the next year, especially as, you know, if, if Hillary Clinton is, is leading the national conversation as election season picks up, how that may, may end up, you know, kind of informing the, the tone of other conversations as well. Yeah, it, was, it was sort of fun at the at the Star Wars thing to see Ava DuVernay hanging out with Ryan Coogler and and Colin Trevorrow. And, and you know, it's nice to think that that's going to be, that they're the representatives of the new generation of filmmakers going forward. You know, Hollywood is embracing them finally. You know, it's, it's all going to be good. So we're looking ahead to the next year, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that has release dates, some of which we've seen some of which we're anticipating. So there are things that we can say definitively we're excited for other people to see because we really like them. And then there are other things that we hope we're going to like just like everybody else. Where does that list start with you, Anne? Well, you and I are going to Sundance. Um, and in Sundance, I know that we'll be able to see again, if we want to, the Toronto debut of Rebecca Miller's Maggie's Plan, which is just one of the best movies I saw in Toronto with um, Ethan Hawke and Greta Gerwig and, and Julianne Moore, all of them at their best in a kind of Woody Allen-ish uh, romantic triangle, but really smart, you know, really funny and smart. Um, And then there's Berlin with Hail Caesar from the Coens, which I couldn't be more excited about. Right. Yeah, Maggie's plan, I think it'll it'll have legs. I mean, it'll be, you know, one of the more traditional kind of fun comedies that's already on the counter for this year. Sony Pictures Classics obviously picked it up for that reason. 
word of mouth will be strong. So that's a good one to look ahead to. Um, I'm really curious to see how the public or whatever aspect of it ends up turning up for this thing, uh, how, how people receive the lobster, uh, which we saw at Cannes back in May. I, I remember you, you were anticipating it with dread because I kept speak, talking it up every week. And then, no, I uh, liked it in the end. Yeah. We both agreed on, on that. And uh, I guess that feels a little bit like old news, but you're right. That's going to be hitting, hitting theaters around the country. And it's you know just a, a delightful, funny, really funny, smart, uh, wicked wicked nasty movie <laughs> it's just it's so bizarre when you explain it to people that this world in which you know being single is illegal and you get transformed into an animal of your choosing if if you remain single i mean it, it doesn't take that long to explain and yet there's this consistency to the world of it colin farrell's really interesting in it rachel weiss shows up later on and, and it's a totally different kind of daffy performance i mean it's there's just so many different kinds of things going on in this movie that are worth latching on to just tonally. And it feels like a real step up for Yorgos Lanthimos, who I think probably by the time this movie comes out, we'll have another one in the bag. He's working in the UK on a bigger scale. And um, this is a filmmaker who I'm totally rooting for to keep kind of pushing ahead and, and trying to tell these bigger stories because it's his vision, and that's that's the kind of thing that that's excites me. That's what makes me. a difference. No, we like we like. Well, one of the independent directors who's gone Hollywood, whose movie I'm actually looking forward to, is Pete's Dragon oh, from yeah. David Lowry. Sure, I ran into him at the at the Star Wars uh, party as Been well. Been hearing about that movie forever too. You know, so so I mean that just intrigues me because you know he's he's such a good, solid filmmaker with plenty of evidence of his of his gifts. You know, but so nothing to indicate to what he would do on a scale know, like this. <laughs> I know, and and uh, you know, it just shows you. I'm, I'm believe it or not, I'm looking forward to some bigger movies like. Uh, Legend of Tarzan. I oh, know wow. you're probably lifting your yeah. eyebrows, but. Come on. David Yates from the Harry Potter series with uh, Alexander Skarsgård, the fabulous star of Diary of a Teenage Girl, as Tarzan, and Margot Robbie as Jane. I just, I'm hoping it, it's good. I, I have, I have reason to feel that it might work out. Just why? All those because it's a great story. It's a really great story. It is. It always was. I always thought it was a racist story. Well, it depends on how they tell it now, <laughs> or chauvinistic, or whatever. Yeah, maybe it's fem- maybe they found a feminist angle, isn't it? It's the story of Jane or something. Now, I mean, the, the well, mo- first of all, he comes back. He's it, it, they've set it up so that so that he's in London and he's in a suit and he has to go back. You know that the story he had with Jane was in the past. Right. Yeah. It's all about playing off of, of audiences' awarenesses of, of certain franchises now, which is kind of a fascinating tendency from Creed to Star Wars. Wait, it's not necessarily just nostalgia. It's just like you already it's have... It's movies you can get made. That's right. that, that, that's practical. Like and, Antoine Fuqua is doing The Magnificent Seven. Um, I love his filmmaking. You know, so, Timur Bekmembetov is making Ben-Hur. I mean, yeah. that's what's going on. John Favreau is making The Jungle Book. 
book. But uh, what's his face? Uh, great filmmaker who I've always found to be worth checking out just in the last few years. Jeff Nichols is doing Midnight Special, which is a science fiction film with Adam Driver and Michael Shannon. It's uh, got supposedly kind of John Carpenter-ish uh, elements to it. Uh, his movie Mud was just such a, a, a neat spin on almost like an 80s vibe of a studio movie. That's the kind of thing that I get excited about being made on that in that realm, and that's a Warner Brothers film. So you know, and I want to see how they turn out with Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman. You know, Mm. that that's another another one. And by the way, I can recommend on the basis of some of the footage I saw at CinemaCon on the animated side, the Secret Life of Pets. And Finding Dory. Those are going to be good. And I want to see the BFG from Steven Spielberg. Sure. I mean, after watching Bridge of Spies this year, a movie that I thought had some great stuff and some okay stuff, I, I did, what, one thing it just confirmed for, for me is, is that this is an artist unquestionably working at, at his peak, even now. And, and, and I'll watch anything that Spielberg does, even though you know, he could retire or just do hack work and it wouldn't ruin his legacy. He's clearly to me, um, you know, somebody was saying, was he going to try to compete with, with, um, you know, the success of star Wars. And I sort of sneered at that because he's so clearly going the other way. I thought you were going to say the success of George Miller, this idea of a 70 year old filmmaker still killing it. You know, doing something so it, well. That's where we're. Ha- I mean, yes, but I think I think Spielberg, at this point, one of the reasons you know he's like Tony Bennett or Clint Eastwood. I think those are the models where you stay engaged, you stay excited, you do the things that continue to thrill you, or you know, you don't chase grosses. At this point, he's so, a grown up. Yeah, yeah, he can handle it. He can handle the pressure from his pal George Lucas, even if George Lucas isn't involved anymore. The the legacy of Star Wars is its own thing. From from Spielberg, though, I would I would go to um, Todd Solondz, who's got a new movie at Sundance this year, Wiener Dog. I mean, there's a filmmaker who who's created his own kind of brand of of sorts, his own universe of of characters and events, and uh, has never really wavered, even if. He doesn't make movies consistently, and, and this new one with Greta Gerwig, of course, um, is uh, it sounds like another entry in, in the world he first created with Welcome to the Dollhouse. So, you know that that kind of thing is is really neat to me that somebody working on a very different kind of scale can also maintain a certain internal consistency to the stories that they're telling. And you know, not everybody is a Todd Solondz fan. I actually have no idea where you fall on that spectrum. And but uh, I admire his stuff. I'm not as salivating as much as <laughs> as you are, but um, you know, I'm interested also in the movie called The Free State of Jones with Gary mm-hmm. Ross, with Matthew McConaughey and Guga Mbatha Rog, and I'm. I'm interested in Passengers that Morton Tildum directed with Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt, which is another sci-fi, sci- you know, outer space kind of survival drama. And I'm interested in Damon Chazelle's new movie called La La Land. Have you heard anything new about that? Nothing. I mean, uh, Chazelle is an interesting filmmaker, obviously, because before he made Whiplash, he had only made a tiny little indie guy, Madeline, on a park bench. So... 
seeing Whiplash, just uh, to me, I was trying to figure out, you know, is this is this guy looking to to kind of take a big step up, or is this just is this sort of like an incremental thing? And so it's it's a jazz story, so it doesn't look like it's it's, it's got a great cast, you know, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. It could be a lot and bigger. Finn Wittrock and you know J.K. Simmons again, but. Um, uh, I I that, I don't know that that looks promising to me. Clearly a talented guy. Another filmmaker I I, I really uh, have been you know anticipating more from is Anna Lily Amirpour who made A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, the the so-called Iranian uh, vampire movie that was a a big break breakout uh, from Sundance last year, and uh, she's got this movie The Bad Batch that I've been hearing about for a long time with uh, Jim Carrey. It's sort of a cannibal love story of sorts, which I don't know where that's going to surface. I think it's still being worked on. But uh, these yeah, are the kind I'm of the things. one looking forward to Matt Damon returning to the Bourne <laughs> uh, series with Paul Greengrass. <laughs> well, this is why you and I compliment each other, Anne. <laughs> I mean, I need you to remind me that I'm these movies are I'm a guy who there. likes action movies. That's, that's what it is. And you're the girl who likes high-end uh, art house stuff. <laughs> we're, try, we're trying to be progressive about, uh, about certain expectations. Well, it's been a fun year for Screen Talk. We've covered a lot of ground. I think we've resolved a lot of problems in the film industry and have figured out ways of laying the groundwork for the next stages. And, yeah, um, if they'd only listen to us, <laughs> right, Eric? Exactly. Well, next year they will. We'll be all over the map. We already know we're going to do a live edition at Sundance. We're super excited about that. And uh, I'll see you out in L.A. in February. Maybe we can do another edition from uh, your car right before the Oscars. Anything's possible. It's just a, a year of rich, of rich uh, things to anticipate, not only just the movies, but the, the ways in which we can talk about them afterwards. So it's been a thrill ride in, and I'm looking forward to the next one. See you later. 